Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. May be seated. Well, it's that time of year again, isn't it? So tonight we bid farewell to the year 2023 with all of its ups and its downs. And tomorrow we begin a new chapter of life, don't we? A new year, a new me, right? It's that time when we take stock of everything we don't like about ourselves, especially our bodies, And we resolve to turn over a new leaf in this next year. Now, we have complicated relationships with our bodies, don't we? I don't care how beautiful or fit you are. No one, and I mean no one, says, I wouldn't change a thing about my body. For some of us, it's... I got a new uh, Apple Watch, and I don't know how to keep it from talking to me while I'm preaching, so I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Bear with me. For some of us, it's just this struggle with vanity that saddens us when we look into the mirror every day. For others, it's maybe chronic pain or illness that has us wishing that we could change something about our bodies. And every one of us struggles with the sin to grant our bodies everything they want. Food, alcohol, and drugs, lust, entertainment, sloth, wrath, you name it. It can be tempting to want to be freed from our bodies, can't it? After all, they aren't the real us, are they? What really matters is what's in my heart, right? Well, I want to stop you right there and suggest that if that's true, the birth of Jesus Christ really wasn't necessary. If the only thing that matters is my heart or my soul or my spirit, and not this bulky mess of bones and blood, and yes, fat and hair, then Christ's birth and his death and his resurrection would be pointless. That's because the Christmas story is about God redeeming you in your entirety. Soul, yes, but body as well. At the right time, the Father sent his whole son for the whole you. At the right time, the Father sent his whole son for the whole you. Now, throughout this past Advent, we've been focusing on the realities of God's judgment and our great need of a Savior. We spent some time looking at Israel's history and how they were sent into exile as punishment and discipline for being unfaithful to God. Advent was about settling into a season of waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises, even in the midst of darkness and suffering. Now, last Sunday was a glorious celebration of the faithful, of the fulfillment of these promises in our lessons and carols service. 
And even tonight, we continue to celebrate the end of judgment and the coming of grace in the birth of Jesus Christ. Our psalm this evening broke out in praise, right? Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. Now, Christians can join in this praise because Israel's Savior came for all of the nations, not just for Israel. In verses 15 and 17 of our psalms, the psalmist tells us he sends forth his commandment upon the earth and his word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool and scatters the white frost like ashes. He casts forth his ice like crumbs. Who is able to abide his frost? Now, aside from the sentimental Christmas language of frightfully delightful weather, this language should actually evoke a sense of dread and of fear. This is not Christmas language. It's Advent language. Now, how do we know that? Well, look at the following verse. In contrast to that, the psalmist says he sends out his word and melts the frost melts the snow, melts the ice. He blows with his wind and waters flow. In other words, at his voice, the dread dissipates and water flows again, granting life to the land and all who live in it. Now, this is Christmas language. What once seemed hopeless has turned into joy. Now, fitting for the Sunday, first Sunday of Christmas is Isaiah 61, our Old Testament passage. It too begins with rejoicing. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. And why? Isaiah is full of doom and gloom. The entire book is. And we've already seen that in the last few weeks. But look what he says. My soul shall exult in God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of salvation, of righteousness. And as you read through Isaiah 61, you hear the voice of the prophet. You also hear the voice of Israel. That's true. But we also hear the voice of Jesus. He clothed me. Who is clothed whom here? Well, in one sense, this is the voice of Israel that will proclaim God's goodness after the punishment of sin in exile. Once their discipline is over, they will once again return to Jerusalem to praise the Lord and be covered in righteousness. They will learn their lesson, in other words, But the Israelites are typical human beings. And in typical, classic human fashion, they don't really learn their lesson any more than we would have. It is true that idolatry isn't as much of a major plague as it was in the Old Testament by the time that we get to the New Testament. But there's still plenty of wickedness going on. So what's going on here? Well, this is a messianic prophecy. Isaiah 61 is ultimately about God dressed in the righteousness and salvation. This is who St. Paul is writing about in our Galatians passage. 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Isaiah is prophesying about the son of God who was sent by the father for our redemption. And this is good news. This has been the plan all along. This is really the Christmas message. But what does any of this have to do with our weight loss goals and exercise regiments that will be starting tomorrow? Well, in a sense, everything. Our gospel text is one of the most profound passages of Scripture. St. John's gospel is written in the most simple language, yet communicates truths that we could spend an eternity pondering. His famous prologue packs a lot into a very small space. In the beginning was the word. As you may know, this word here in Greek, the word for word, is logos or logos. And it was packed full of meaning in jo- to John's audience. The logos had a philosophical history. The early Greek philosophers postulated that there was a divine capital R reason or capital C consciousness, something akin to an idealistic or an ideal wisdom. And it was the wisdom all philosophers were seeking. They weren't necessarily saying that this Logos was a personal being. They were just saying that there is some kind of pure knowledge out there, and the job of philosophy was to seek it. And that's why St. John uses the language here. He's saying, yes, you're right. There is a divine wisdom, pure knowledge worth seeking. It is indeed eternal. And yes, it is called the Logos. But listen, the Logos was with God. That is, this divine consciousness existed from all eternity alongside a personal divine being, God. And not only this, but the Logos was God at the same time. And everything that has been created bears his image because nothing has been made Nothing that has been made was made without him. Now, as crazy as all of this must have sounded, and it sounds to us today, what really rocked the world and continues to rock ours is what we see in verse 14. And the word became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And there it is. The Logos became flesh even as a helpless child lying in a manger. And this is a preposterous declaration. Are you saying that this pure reason, this knowledge, this wisdom became a human being? Yes, that is exactly what St. John is saying here. That was, Saint, that was John the Baptist's message as well. He came to bear witness to the light of man, a light that no man can see with the eyes of flesh. But that doesn't mean the eyes of flesh don't matter. That doesn't mean that the material world doesn't matter. That doesn't mean that matter doesn't matter. 
You see, John's audience was plagued by an understanding of the world that sought to escape the physical world because it was in constant in a constant state of decay and corruption and subject to all kinds of wickedness. And naturally, who would want to stay in such a place? Yes, some wanted to relish the passing pleasures of this short life, but for the most of them, finding pure knowledge or wisdom was so much better because seeking it meant that they find some higher non-physical ideal to be a part of, to pursue. But John's message, the gospel, says something different. It married the Logos to the material world, the scandal of the incarnation, the word become fleshian. I made that up. The incarnation is that by doing so, the word sanctified human flesh. Remember that God created man in his own image, male and female. He created them. All things were made by God's word, the Logos. And all that he made, he also declared good. The incarnation of the word is not the only means by which human beings can... The incarnation of the word is not only the means by which human beings can be redeemed. It is the very stamp of God's approval on our entire being, body as well as soul. That is the material part of who and what we are, as well as the non-material part. Which is why I said at the beginning, at the right time, the father sent his whole son for the whole you. His whole son for the whole you, that body of yours that could stand to lose a few pounds, that once looked better than it does today, that gives you so much discomfort, so much pain, that is so subject to sin. It's not something to be escaped, but it's something that Christ came to redeem. You were created in a way that no angel has ever experienced to be a body-soul combo. That is the significance of baby Jesus lying in a manger. It's the significance of his life and ministry upon the earth, and it's the significance of his physical bodily crucifixion on the cross. Why? Because the Father has not only clothed him with human flesh, but with righteousness and salvation. St. Paul told us, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That is, just as Christ was clothed with human flesh, yet without sin, so we too can put on him who was enfleshed in holiness and in salvation. And this is what it means to be a new creation. We are not yet what we will be. But beloved, remember that the physical, the bodily resurrection of the crucified Jesus Christ is a guarantee of our own bodily resurrection. And Paul tells us that we will be like him. Now we have no idea what that means. But lest you walk out of here thinking that the salvation of our souls is the only thing that counts. I want you to remember that the incarnation of Jesus Christ means that our entire being is redeemed. Otherwise, Jesus 
wouldn't have bothered with births or mangers or hunger or temptations and crucifixions. But he did. Your body was no accident. Your body was no accident. It's not some necessary evil, some shell to house your soul. It's part of who you are. It's part and parcel of who you are, and Christ came to redeem it just as much as he came to redeem the rest of you. That's the whole of you. Now, I admit that I have a few resolutions for 2024. And they probably aren't that different than the resolutions I didn't keep for 2023. I may never lose the weight I need to lose. And these days, it's not so much about the vanity as it is my discomfort of aging. But whatever it is about your own body you'd love to change this year, whatever the reason may be to change it, remember the implications of Christ's incarnation. God cares about our bodies because he created them. And God doesn't create junk. You might not look or feel the way that you want to. And that may not change in this life. But friends, don't believe the lie that God only cares about the redemption of your soul and that the physical world is just some necessary evil. The full gospel is that God sent forth his only son for the redemption of the whole world. And that includes the whole you and the whole me. And the next Christmas carol you sing, remember that Mary didn't lay a metaphor down in that manger. She didn't lay down just a soul or a spirit or a human heart. She laid down flesh and blood, a human being. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So take care of yourselves as good stewards of broken and blemished vessels, for sure. So go to the gym and get on that diet. But remember that just as we can do nothing to redeem ourselves, the redemption of our bodies is also up to Jesus as well. His birth promised our redemption. His resurrection guaranteed it. And his spirit sustains us by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, as we actively await for the redemption of our whole being. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the life that you have given us. Lord, we know that it could be so much better, which is why we thank you for the redemption that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, fill us with hope, fill us with joy, fill us with gratitude and thanksgiving for giving us your Son who not only died for us, but rose for us as well, guaranteeing our own bodily resurrection. Lord, help us to long for the redemption of our entire being, not just a portion of it. Because you gave your whole son, body and soul, for our sake. And let this be the joy of our heart, that we might exult in God our Savior, just like the psalmist And just like Isaiah, just like John the Baptist, 
and John the Evangelist and St. Paul and countless others who have gone before us. And we pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.